0: You are listening to the Embrace What Matters podcast. My name is John Mahalik. I'm a seminary-trained author and speaker with over 25 years experience encouraging others in the areas of spiritual life change and authentic relationship. My goal is to bridge the things of eternity with everyday experience. The current episodes in this podcast are sermons that I delivered while pastoring a church in the country of Honduras. If this podcast encourages you and helps you, can I ask that you please write a review and leave a rating? It will simply help more people find the podcast who may, like you, be searching for more purpose and meaning. Thanks again for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. You're uh, here on the tail end of a series that I've been doing uh, about the Bible. Uh, hopefully every week we uh, preach from the Bible, but this uh, series is about the Bible. It's uh, intended to uh, remind you or, or instill in you a, a, a stronger faith or trust in the written scriptures. And so I would encourage you, if, if, you, if you wish, uh, to go online to the church website. You can hear the previous sermons in the series a lot of this has been meant to kind of tie in together so you really can't maybe get the best sense of everything unless you listen to kind of everything so (laughs) so i encourage you to listen to all the sermons if you're able to Uh, you can you can get them online and i think on the back of the bulletin there's actually instructions on on where to go etc Uh, The other thing I will mention is that this is really touching on a lot of stuff that is in many ways an overview. It's sort of a bird's eye view of research and the the pursuit of evidence and faith into the uh, written scriptures. So there's no way that we're going to be able to get into all the detail that we should. In many ways, this is a lifetime thing, a a multi-year thing. Uh, That requires a lot of study. Um, So, hopefully, you're going to get this kind of thing in church, but also, I want to encourage you to pursue personal. Uh, study uh, yourself Uh, some of the stuff you're going to hear today probably a lot of you are very familiar with but i'm specifically want to speak to the people who maybe haven't done this type of research into scripture i really want to encourage you to do so and to to tell you that it's not something that's only meant for people that go to seminary or bible college it's really something that's accessible uh, for all of us so this morning i want to talk about the issue of interpreting scripture in uh, interpretation itself and uh, the very famous passage second timothy two fifteen, in regard to interpretation uh, do your best it says to present yourself to god as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. And so a lot of people use this scripture to point people to the necessity to be very careful in our approach to scripture and you can tie this into how we interpret scripture. But really Paul is speaking to Timothy and he's and he's really kind of talking about the the whole discipleship picture, right? Do your best to present yourself to God, right? This is more than just how we handle scripture, but it shows scripture as part of the scenario, part of the formula in, in uh, presenting ourselves to God, being in a relationship to God, is rightly handling the word of truth. And so the main point that I want to make this morning is that the pursuit of a trustworthy interpretation of scripture can help strengthen our relationship with God, certainly, But likewise, it can strengthen our faith in the trustworthiness of God's word. And as we enter into a proper interpretation, a a sober, trustworthy interpretation, I think God's word will, in many ways, prove itself to us in ways that it can't otherwise. So a trustworthy interpretation of scripture must recognize both God's, uh, must recognize God's intimate engagement with humanity. Uh, That's really the story of Scripture itself, that God isn't distant. He has engaged humanity from Genesis to Revelation. We certainly see it in the Gospels with Jesus, but really all of Scripture talks about God in this way, that he's not just this distant God. He's not someone that has no uh, sympathy or understanding of humanity. He has come into the world and he has engaged humanity. And so in the previous weeks, we've talked about the word of God as both divine and human. Jesus himself, the word of God in the flesh, was fully divine and fully human. And so when we interpret this word of God, we must recognize both of those, right? The divinity, the humanity, God's intimate engagement with humanity. so, So... As I look at scripture, as I approach scripture and interpret scripture, I need to kind of see this process. God inspires scripture, right? He is the one where this begins. It is his will, his meaning that I need to understand. But God uses human writers in the ancient world in order to write these things down. And then eventually it comes to me but what i need to understand is that this engagement of divinity and humanity is something that isn't necessarily uh, i can categorize or put this over here or that it's really kind of a meshed together in many ways god is the ultimate source of the meaning this is god's word but god has engaged the human writer in order to write these different books of the bible And so that means for me to really have a sense of what God is trying to say, I also need to understand the writer. I need to understand the writer. I need to know his world. What time did he live? Uh, What was going on at the time? Because part of this is, is understanding, again, that we don't have this distant God, that the truths of the Bible aren't just these esoteric truths that have nothing to do with life here on earth. It has everything to do with life here on earth. It is divine, it is, is it above, it's, it's above us in our limited understanding, but it's absolutely integrated with the earth, with humanity itself. So for me to understand God's spiritual truths, I need to engage uh, the human writer, the world of the writer, etc. Another way you could look at this is the Bible is kind of in the middle, right? God is above all. The meaning fundamentally comes from God, but I see sort of this cohesion of God, the human writer, and me in the modern world. One way to talk about this is we could go back to the source and say, all right, what does God mean here? But it's also important to understand so that we don't read our own meaning into Scripture, is to assess who am I today? And then from there, kind of go backwards into the life of the writer and then eventually see what God is trying to say in that sense. So we we, we had to have a sense of humility, really, when it comes to understanding what God is trying to say. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a famous passage we all like to use. I'm not sure we always apply it to the word of God, so I want to do so this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. So in any good relationship, I should never assume that I always understand what the person is trying to tell me. And certainly when it comes to the divine Heavenly Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, I should never come to the place where I just make an assumption that what God is trying to say is something that I, that I immediately understand. And then if you add to the process the fact that I'm going from me to the, the ancient world of the writer to God himself, then there, there are filters of communication <laughs> that I need to respect pretty highly in order to get back to God's original meaning. Uh, I have taught uh, different marriage classes and seminars before and talked about the the dangers and the perils often of communication. So let's say a wife is telling her husband something. So it starts out with what the wife says. She says something. But there is also what the wife thinks she's saying. There could be a difference between what we're saying and what we think we're saying. And then you have what the husband hears (laughs) and then you have what the husband thinks that he's hearing. So there are these filters that we'd often take for granted when it comes to communication. And this is just one person speaking to another, not, we're not even talking about the reverse where he, he responds, right? So there are filters that, where the hearer might assume that he understands what the speaker is saying, but <laughs> that may not necessarily be the case. If you took these four filters and put them into a combination lock, A four-digit lock. How many combinations might you have to go through to come up with the right combination? Well, I had to look this up on Google. A four-digit lock, you would have to go through 10,000 possibilities in order to come up with the right combination. Now, if you're living in despair that you'll never be able to communicate with your spouse again, don't worry. I don't think it's that drastic, but that should give us pause. (laughs) That should give us pause that when I'm saying something, there's, it's not necessarily going to be received in the, with the way that I'm intending to, re- to say it. That my meaning is not necessarily getting across. And when I'm hearing something, I need to be respectful and understand that my meaning for a certain word or a phrase or a thought that someone is giving me may not be you know, what it is. So I need to understand that on the human level, and certainly I need to understand that on the divine level. So... This morning is really about understanding and I'm going to be seating ourselves primarily in, in the humanity area uh, because I think that's often in the church something that you and I can neglect. We, we immediately go straight to God, straight to the theology and we kind of neglect the, the middle position. And so I'm going to be talking about that first and certainly mentioning theology itself. So we need to have an understanding of language. Is the the word that you're saying the word that I understand to to mean a certain way, or does it mean something else, right? We need to know language. We need to have an understanding of culture. What was the culture that the, the, the book of the Bible was written in? We need to have a sense of that. We need to have a sense of the history that the Bible was written in, the book of the Bible. We need to know geography. We need to have a sense of that. We can't take for granted the issue of genre, the type of writing it was, which I'll explain. We need to have a sense of what context the, the, the word or the meaning or the passage was written in, the book. And then certainly we need to have a sense of the theology. And theology is one of those last but not least. Obviously, that's where we want to head. <laughs> that's the divine purpose that, behind the Bible. But we really can't neglect these other areas of uh, understanding. So I'm gonna, gonna briefly kind of do overviews of all these. So language, right? The words that you're saying to me, do I, I make an assumption that I understand what you're saying, but do, is it really what you mean? Language. So a very easy verse, something many of us see, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. So how would you define the word word, <laughs> right? Very simple word, right? A very simple word. And we might have a very basic sense of what that word means. And so, is that different than what God intends? Is that different what the writer John would understand the word to be? And so, first of all, we need to know (laughs) that the Bible wasn't written in English. It was, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. So we don't see word, we see the word logos, right? Logos, logos is the Greek for this that is being used in John 1.1. And then maybe you open up a dictionary or a lexicon and you see some basic definitions of the word, But then you go a little bit deeper, and you see this is more than just issues of definition. This is God speaking into the world and the life of of the apostle John. John would have written the gospel sometime around 90 AD. We believe he was on the Greek island of Patmos. A lot of the culture in the same way that the modern world kind of... Uh, is guided by uh north american western culture the greek culture was very prevalent back then and so the, the way greeks thought of things mattered in the in the way that john was speaking to a greek audience in many ways even though he was a jew so what did greeks think about the word logos there's a whole lot that you can look at and and so there is this bridge if you did this basic word study that, that goes from me, my sense of the word word, to John's sense of the word word word, a Greek idea of the word that gets me to the idea that the word word is way more deep than I can imagine. It actually points to something in the nature of God himself. And so that's just a basic word study. So language we need to be very careful about. We should never make the assumption that our meaning is God's meaning. Culture. We need to understand this book, this book was written in a particular culture. And not just because, not for the sake just of understanding, but again, remembering that God has given Himself and entered into the world, right? We, in the same way that I want God to enter in, into the world of today, I know that He did it back then. So culture matters. Understanding culture matters. And so a, a basic example is from the book of Ruth. This is at the end, and we have a, a verse that you might. Just open up and read. And, and it says, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Well, if, again, if I just open this up and read this, I would like, what, what in the world is going on here? Why, why did the guy take his shoe off? But, but another, kind of back to the issue of language or words, my sense as a kind of a church-going Christian is Redeemer. What does that mean? Well, that's kind of a, a thing about salvation. Jesus is called the Redeemer. You know, I kind of put it in this lofty spiritual definition. Is that part of what Redeemer means? Yes. But I can have a better sense of understanding what Redeemer means if I understand the culture of the book of Ruth, of the time of the Judges a redeemer was someone who redeemed land he could redeem property or people and so understanding the story we can see a lot of the explanation in, in the book itself but you might have to go study the culture of that time in some other scholarship in some other books and so understanding culture is so important because it absolutely dictates how God intended for those uh, for his truths and his presence to be understood at that time and then I need to understand that in order to apply it to my own time there's a great deal of very important theology all over the book of Ruth but I'm gonna miss that if I make it all abstract if I don't understand the actual time that this was spoken in and what was exactly going on inside this culture. There is also something called principle and application. Principle and application. When I am studying ancient culture, I need to have a sense of whether this is a universal principle or whether there's a difference between that universal principle and application. So, so we can do that with the book of Ruth. Uh, there are letters with uh, Paul and Peter in the New Testament. Paul talks about uh, worship and women and men, whether they should have a head covering or not. Peter talks about women uh, dressing modestly with certain types of clothing or jewelry. And so some people, you will have churches today who will apply that universally. They will say that all women need to have their head covered when they're in worship. And yeah, I've been to churches that do that. And so, so that's a question of interpretation. But what I would say is in that case, I can separate principle from application. <laughs> What is the principle in that case reverence and worship the principle when peter talks about how women should dress is the issue of modesty that is a universal applica- uh, application that we should all understand but the application of then might be different from the application now now we we can't be you know very uh, casual about this you can be you can make mistakes here there are some people who look at culture and they and they th- they throw away the Bible and say the morality of the Bible is something that was for back then. And the culture of today negates the morality of the Bible. Well that's not true because God's principles are universal. So we need to have a good, be a good student of the culture and understanding what is the difference. And so that requires some sober study, sober interpretation. History, we need to understand the history of the Bible. John at the end of his gospel says, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Uh, Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So there's a couple of things I would point out with this, this passage. One is that the Bible is historical. The Bible is not just some mystical esoteric book that, that speaks about truths that maybe apply to us when we get to heaven. The Bible is absolutely historical. It talks about things that actually happened. And, and John is asserting that. He's, he's talking about Jesus, the things that Jesus did. He wasn't just some phantasm, he wasn't just some idea. Jesus was here on earth. He was born. He did these things. He, He died on the cross. He rose bodily from the grave. He ascended. Those historical facts are absolutely crucial for us to understand and to live in the faith. And so the Bible is historical. We need to understand that. But also look at what he does here, is he is selective. He's selective in what he includes in the history of Jesus. He says, there's, there's a whole lot more I could have said, but, but I said certain things for a reason, for a reason. And so again, I'm, I'm going from me to the writer to God. I need to understand, is there a possibility that I can misinterpret scripture because I'm not approaching history in the same way that an ancient writer like John would? And I, I would assert that if you look at, Uh, most of the writers of the ancient texts you would see that they do approach writing history a little bit differently Uh, this is a good book if you want to study this v phillips long the art of biblical history again most of us in our modern minds kind of look at history as maybe almost like a math book or something it's very logical it's very linear this is what happened then that happened then that happened these are the facts Uh, The Bible doesn't negate that, but it often uses creative means in order to fundamentally give us the word of God, the thoughts of God, the theology of God. And so what you will often see in, in, in the gospels and Genesis and other places isn't just modern history, it's a theological history. The intention of displaying the history is to point us to God himself, right? So that we can walk with God and be with God forever. This is an illustration uh, from a modern history example. Abraham Lincoln in the 1800s in the United States was the president during the US Civil War. Now look at this painting. Most of us wouldn't be worried too much about this painting, but How many times do you see Abraham Lincoln? Some, or four times or something. So we have a profile of Lincoln. (laughs) We have the young Abraham Lincoln in the back. We have the Lincoln Monument, which which certainly has a certain meaning to it. And we have uh, a a more uh, precise Lincoln in the front. But you also see some other things. In the far corner, you see the balcony of the Ford's Theater where, where Lincoln was assassinated. And then you see some, uh, if you look cl- more closely, you can see some campaign slogans when he ran with Andrew Johnson. And in the back, you can see the campaign slogan when he ran in 1860, it, where it said, the union must and shall be preserved. It was in the time that the Civil War was about to happen. This is all pointing to literal events in history, <laughs> but it's given to us in a creative way It's it's given to us in a non-literal way. It's pointing to literal things through non-literal ways. And so if I saw this in a painting, I wouldn't be so bent out of shape over this. But we have issues like looking at the Gospel of Matthew and trying to to reconcile how Matthew might fit with John and things like that. Some people have a problem with the fact that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, use to talk about the chronology, for instance, of, the, of Jesus cleansing the temple at a certain period in his ministry. And then you read the Gospel of John and it's at the beginning of, of his book. And people say, well, that must mean that these books are corrupt or they didn't remember it correctly or they're not historical. Well, if I, if I watch the movie Saving Private Ryan, it begins in the present moment with this old man. And then it goes back in time to the time of D-Day and tells this story. We see this all the time in creative storytelling. It's pointing to literal historical things, but it's doing it in a creative way. And the Bible does that all the time. So this could apply to the way we look at Genesis one. People have a lot of uh, debates about the historicity of Genesis one. Was it six days? Was it literal? Was it figurative? Well, I can definitely, come to the place where I, where I absolutely believe, one, that God created the heavens and the earth, right? have no problem with that, right? But, but then there's lots of stuff where you can look at and study the way that Genesis 1 was formed together, that it could have been a creative way of talking about literal history. So you can make your own decision on that. But a lot of the difficulties that make people not trust in the scripture can be resolved when you understand the way they addressed history and wrote history. It wasn't just to tell a story or to deliver facts. It was to help you believe in God, help you believe in Jesus Christ. That was the the ultimate objective. It was theological. So just an overview. Geography. It's important to understand geography. Good example, Mark chapter 10. It says, the disciples were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Now, again, we, we could have a survey in the room, but when I hear that somebody is going up somewhere, I usually think that they're going north. I've, 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 I've had a few people say, I'm going, they're in, living in New York, and they're saying, I'm going up to Florida. It drives me crazy. But, <laughs> but going up usually kind of means north, right? So is that, what is that what it's saying? No, I don't think that's what it's saying. One reason I know is because Jerusalem is built on a hill. <laughs> we have we have the mount when that's up but if you're walking to Jerusalem just even from the outskirts you're going up and, and if you visited Jerusalem you'll, you'll see that it's a hill or a series of hills but another thing is in that passage it, most of the time when they were traveling to Jerusalem they were they were going from the Sea of Galilee uh, to Jerusalem south the Sea of Galilee is uh, the elevation the altitude of the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level Jerusalem is about 2,400 feet above sea level. So that's a a difference of about 3,000 feet. So if you were going from Galilee to Jerusalem, you were going up. And and up to Jerusalem is a phrase that's used many times in scripture. And why does that matter? Is Is that just being nitpicky? Well, I haven't been to Israel. One of my bucket list things. But anyone I've ever talked to who's been to Israel will tell me, that the Bible has just exploded for them. It's, it's, it's revolutionized in their life, why? Because all this stuff that they've been reading about that they wanted to believe in for so long suddenly became real. It was real, they saw where Jesus walked, they saw all these things. Especially the Old Testament, but, but the Gospels themselves in, in, in different places, geography is mentioned all the time. Why? Because this really happened. This was really historical. This happened in a real world environment and and so it helps my faith in order to understand that the bible is not just a a book of morals the bible is a is an engagement of god in real history the issue of genre what is genre genre is just a different way to write things so i could have a math textbook i could have a book of poetry i could have song lyrics different ways of writing or communicating the bible has a lot of different genres and that should affect the way we interpret scripture a lot of the bible is story or narrative Genesis Ruth are examples the Bible is also history and you notice I use Genesis again this shows that a lot of the books of the Bible are often have multiple genres right Genesis is both a story but it's also history and then we have first Samuel the book of Acts the Bible is history the Bible is law I would read a law textbook very differently than I would read the poetry of, of Wordsworth or somebody right that's a different genre The bible is poetry songs we have the psalms themselves which are are meant to be sung but they're poetry we have different songs throughout the bible like the song of miriam i'm looking at songs and poetry very differently than i look at other genres the bible is wisdom the wisdom genre books like proverbs ecclesiastes job that that involves a lot of poetry but the ultimate purpose is teaching us wisdom i'm going to read that very differently the bible is prophecy it's prophetic isaiah hosea these use history they use prophecy they use uh figures of speech all sorts of things to communicate prophetic truth it's very different Uh, we could call the gospels their own genre the the gospels have have our story but they have a a certain intention behind them Uh, epistles we don't do this too often but uh, when people used to write letters (laughs) maybe we send emails now uh you know when i wrote a letter to somebody or when i received a letter i had a very different way of, of of understanding the meaning of the person that was writing me the letter right so epistles are different apocalyptic is probably the final genre in the books like daniel revelation these are often talking about the end time prophecy uh they use a lot of symbolism but they they use history too so again how we read the Bible interpret the scripture absolutely depends on the type of writing it was. And if I don't have a basic sense of that when I go to scripture, I'm going to be missing what God is trying to say. Now what, what about the idea that I, I want to take the Bible literally? If you're a conservative evangelical Christian, you probably have said that, that I take the Bible literally. What does that mean and is that possible to defend? Well. We can still interpret God's word literally, God's truth, understanding that the Bible frequently communicates literal truths through non-literal means, like figures of speech and poetry. So, so that again, that's, that's another objection that skeptics have, right? You take the Bible literally, you're crazy. Well, no, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I can understand if I have an understanding of how the Bible is being communicated to me, right, the trees clap their hands. <laughs> is that a literal phrase? No, it's not a literal fra- phrase, but it speaks to the literal truth that all creation sings God's praises. Right? That is a literal truth. So again, there's things that we can do to approach God in a responsible way to have a trustworthy interpretation. Context, this is something we could spend a lot of time on, but I'll just deal with it very briefly. None of us ever want to be taken out of context. That means someone did not get what we were trying to say, right? Did you know that 15 places in the scriptures tell us that there is no God? 15 times in the scriptures in the ESV version that I looked up say that there is no God. Is it possible that I'm taking this out of context? (laughs) I think it is. This is from 2 Samuel 7, verse 22. Let's look at the greater context david said you are great o lord god for there is none like you and there is no god beside you <laughs> so out of context out of context and this is obviously a, an extreme example but a lot of people will interpret scripture defame scripture tell you that scripture can't be trusted and so often <laughs> they are taking the bible out of context they are taking the meaning out of context and so there isn't just the context of the verse there could be the context of the of the uh the chapter the book there could be the context of the story of david himself there could be the greater context of the entire canon of scripture so we there's lots of context cultural historical lots of context that we need to understand in order to properly get what god is trying to say and then finally of course last but not least we have theology theology Paul said in Acts chapter 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. God's word, all these different books that we talked about last time, are all coming from God, and God is a a consistent person of integrity, of truth, who means what he says and says what he means. And so we need to look at the whole counsel of God in, in order to understand the theology of God. This is just a partial list, right? We could have a lot more than this. But but again, the reason I kind of led with all those other things is I think too often you and I will spend time studying things like Jesus Christ, the Trinity, heaven, the church, right? All these theological divine concepts that God certainly wants us to understand and live by without the humanity, without going into the life of the writer, without understanding the history, the culture, the language. Absolutely, we need to focus and found our lives on these types of concepts and these types of themes. But the Bible is both divine, the Bible is human. God has entered into time, he has entered into humanity to teach us these things. And if you've been with me or heard me preach over the last year or more, you know that I will talk about these things, but I will will talk about them in an integrated fashion with with the, the life that you and I lived, the life that they lived back then Uh, the Christian History Institute says beware of how important it is to eventually get an overall grasp of the continuity and progression within Scripture itself Scripture becomes its own best interpreter and for this you need uh, you need the larger picture of the collection as a whole so if we spend too much time in the micro we're gonna miss the whole picture but if you study things like Jesus Christ, the Messiah, you see it everywhere in scripture. And my trust for the written word becomes stronger and stronger the more I see that all these books written over so much time with all these people could not have come together with this one theme in this way if they didn't, didn't ultimately come from God. And so, so that's why I say a, a trustworthy interpretation is not just about getting understanding. It's also building our trust in the written word itself just briefly again many of you use these but I want to provide a toolbox for trustworthy interpretation Uh, things like study Bibles concordances uh, different lexicons which are kind of technical dictionaries for Greek and Hebrew commentaries I will say pursue a commentary that is recommended as more scholarly there are some commentaries that aren't as scholarly Uh, you want something that's well well done Uh, dictionaries encyclopedias Bible Maps Books on history, Bible culture, et cetera. Where can you find such things? Uh, you can go over here into the Union Church Library. We have a number of books like these that you can borrow. Uh, there are a number of websites in our modern technological wor- world where you can get a lot of these tools, places like tool, StudyTools.com, et cetera. When I post this online, I'll, I'll provide links uh, to these if you want to go see them. Uh, You have a smartphone, you have an app. You can search Bible study on iTunes or Google Play on your Android phone and find a lot of these tools. And then you can uh, uh, use software if you have a computer. Uh, Software programs like Logos and BibleWorks are are programs that uh, seminarians and pastors typically use. I've used them for many years that give you all these tools and they're very easy. If you walked in my office, apparently unlike uh, The Last Pastor, I don't have many books in there it's because I have thousands of books on my, on my software program that help me prepare sermons. Let me uh, close with the idea of the divine interpreter. The divine interpreter. First uh, Corinthians two, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Richard Bauckham says, scripture cannot be subject to merely human interpretation because it is inspired by the spirit and so requires an interpretation inspired by the spirit. So me, the writer, God. Some people are gonna ask the question, how can I approach and interpret scripture without having some level of bias? because right? I, have, I have my own ways of looking at the world. How can I get to an objective view of what God is trying to say? There are physical ways that I can do that, and I've demonstrated a number of them. But ultimately, right? if you've been here in the last several weeks, we need both the evidence, we need reason, we need ro- logic, but we need faith. We need faith. God, obviously, is the ultimate person that we should go to to ask him, <laughs> what did you mean by that? And Jesus, when he told parables, the disciples would come to him privately and say, what did you mean by that? And he would explain to them the meaning of the parables. And that's what we need to do when we approach scripture. To achieve a trustworthy interpretation, we must certainly start with prayer. (laughs) We must go to God in prayer. We must listen. Jesus, when he spoke the parables said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. We must humble ourselves especially when it comes to the area of meaning (laughs) right i should not assume that what i think this means is what god says it means we need to ask ourselves or ask god himself to reveal his meaning we must study and apply his meaning we must live out the word and obey him and we must do all things in love (laughs) if you've been around the church and christianity any amount of time you often have people that are very zealous about interpreting scriptures and they're very happy to hammer you over the head with their interpretation. (laughs) So no matter how much we know, no matter how much truth that God has given us, the scripture says if we do it without love, we're nothing. And so that applies to our own lives that applies to the way that we engage others in the church, but it also applies to the way that we engage unbelievers. Again, these people do not trust in the, in, the, in the veracity, the integrity of the scriptures. So if we do not give them our interpretation of scripture in love, we are nothing. And I would say the conversation is not gonna be profitable. Let me end with Jeremiah 15. He says, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Next week I'm gonna conclude the series with maybe a little bit less technical than I have been before and really seeding the trust that, and faith that you and I need to have in the written scriptures in God himself, in that relationship with God, in the process of our discipleship with God, the fact that he has given us these great and precious Promises that we can live by, the fact that he has called us by name. That should ultimately give us the most trust and faith in the written scriptures, among any other things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're... I'm personally thankful to, to be reminded of the need to be humble. And so often my humility is simply a lack of consideration of the other person. (laughs) I can walk in pride when I think that I know it all, when I think that I understand all things. And so Lord, I thank you for the reminder that to engage anyone in personal relationship, we need to humble ourselves and ask for the meaning of what they're saying. And so Lord, I thank you for the journey the study, the interpretation of your written and living word. I thank you for the voyage of discovery, whether it's reading your word for the first time or seeing truths that we hadn't seen in a verse that we've read over and over. Lord, I thank you that you give us wisdom and understanding when we ask for it. And Lord, I ask that we can walk in love as much as we walk in truth, that we understand that the existence of the written word itself is an act of mercy and love, that you have spoken at a time, that you have entered into time and given us your truth, your son, your salvation, your life. I pray for these things and for protecting and guiding all of us in the coming week in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'll leave you with Proverbs chapter two. The wisdom writer says, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Amen. This podcast is produced by Embrace What Matters Ministries and is available most anywhere podcasts can be found. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and please leave a comment or send me an email. To learn more about this ministry, my devotional book, and other writings, please visit EmbraceWhatMatters.com.